Our scripture reading this morning is taken from Genesis 18, verse 9 through 15. They said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, she's in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a son now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. He said, no, but you did laugh. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Angels Landing. When I first uh, saw pictures of this hike a couple years ago, it wasn't a question of if, it was just a matter of when. Like, I, just, I, knew, I knew that I, I had to do it. It's Zion National Park. Uh, it's widely considered one of the most unique and amazing uh, hikes anywhere in the world. Now also, also one of the most terrifying. In fact, there are all kinds of, you know, signs everywhere, like, not recommended for children. Uh, like, yeah. Um, I mean... Like, everything you read about this, everywhere you go in the park, it's all like, people have, just so you know, people have died, right? I mean, seriously, it's, it's, it's everywhere. And so, of course, of course, when we were there a couple weeks ago, uh, we, had, we had to do it, right? We didn't have any choice. Uh, and so, we, we started off early, and the first couple miles were easy. I mean, not not easy, easy. Uh, there are like 21 switchbacks, and you, you gain like 1,000 feet of elevation in those first like two miles. So it's not like easy, easy, but it's just like it's normal hiking, right? Just hard, but normal. Nothing, nothing scary about it. It's the end that people fear. And I, like I knew this, okay? Like I, I, I've I'd seen pictures, I'd done research. Like I, was, I was prepared for that until I saw it. That's what the end looks like. And again, I'd seen that picture before at home, and I, I'd read blogs on this hike. I'd, I'd looked at guidebooks. I, you know, I'd done everything. Like I had all of the, the head knowledge about what it was going to be like, and I kept telling Kelly and the kids, it's going to be fine. We got this, right? Until I stood before it. And then all of a sudden, like all of that knowledge, all of what I knew to be true, like none of that mattered anymore. I mean, this, this is the trail, people. Go to the next one. Like that's it. For like a half mile, um, that last section. Each way, half mile. Uh, and it's laughable, right? Some of you are like, I can't, you're an idiot. I know, I know. Um, so there's, there's like a chain to hold on to to try and not die, which is helpful. Uh, there, there are sections where it's no more than maybe three feet across. It's a thousand foot drop on one side, like on your left, 800 feet on the right. Take your pick, right? Um, all the while you ascend an additional 500 feet when you're already exhaust, exhausted. And I did that with my kids. Actually read this week 
but I didn't know this beforehand. Uh, Outside Magazine listed it in the top 20 most dangerous hikes in the world. Actually, I found in that article that I've, I've actually dragged Kelly on two of those hikes. <laughs> Kids only on this last one, but she's, oh, she's, she's a good woman, bless her heart. Um, I mean, it was, it was absolutely terrifying. What was, I, what was I thinking? And of course, it was, you know, unbelievably beautiful and, you know, yada, yada, yada. It was one of the most fun things we've ever done uh, together as a family. And like, in, in hindsight, no regrets, right? Absolutely worth it. But, but imagine with me, like take, take away all the fun, remove all of the beauty, take any choice out of the matter, no end in sight, just a continual slog with death on one side, dismemberment on the other, and you just keep putting one foot in front of the other, desperately trying to hold on. Are you with me? Because some of you have been there, right? I mean, not, not on just some stupid hike, right? But, but now, even, in your experience, or, or, or maybe you've, you've experienced something like that in the past, and if you haven't, there's a really good chance you will at some point in the future, where you feel like you're stuck on some hellish path, perilously walking on the narrow edge of faith, unable to see beyond your own uncertainty, just clinging on, wondering how long you'll last. Like Sarah in our story. Because we, we hear these amazing promises, right? And the Bible is full of them. Is anything too hard for God? And we know the right answer. I mean, most of us, like, you've done the research, right? You, you believe the right things, you have the, the basic theology to be able to answer that question. Of, of course nothing's too hard for God. And yet, like Sarah, there are moments, seasons, perhaps sometimes even what feels like a lifetime when you hear God's promises and all you can do is laugh. Ha, right, God. Very funny. And in those, those desperate places, like the promises almost make it worse, don't they? Is anything too hard for God? Well, no, of course not. So why doesn't he do something, right? And I can't, I can't answer, that, answer that question, but I can say this, you're not alone. In fact, Abraham and Sarah, the poster couple for faith in the Old Testament, they know exactly what that feels like. And in their story this morning, I think we find even just a little bit of hope for us. Let me pray for us, and then we'll look at the story together. Let me pray. Father, we need your help. God, because I know even in this room, God, there are people here who feel like they are right stuck on that ridge. They can't see what's ahead, and they're afraid. And we believe such amazing things about you. So God, I pray for those who are in that place. Would you bring comfort? Would you bring hope? God, for those who aren't there, but maybe down the road, Lord, would you even now prepare us for those things so that we can hold on to you in the midst of our doubt and fear? And Father, through your spirit, would you speak? We love you, Jesus, in Christ's name. Amen. We'll turn to Genesis 18. Is anything too hard 
for the Lord. As we, as we tell this, this story, we heard the last part of it read. We'll kind of back up a little bit. As we tell this story, we see three surprising strangers, two people as good as dead, and one laughable promise. And we'll try to draw out some lessons along the way. Three, two, one. So the story begins with, with Abraham, actually back in the, the, the early parts of, of chapter 18. And it's, it's sort of nap time, right? He's done his, his morning work. It's the heat of the day, like no air conditioning, right? So he's, we, we find him sort of seated at the, at the entrance of his tent, right? Probably where there's a breeze, underneath the oak trees there, uh, resting, right? It's a little, little siesta time. It's an ideal afternoon. Lesson number one, if the rain stops later today, like do that. You can do worse than follow Abraham's example there, right? Uh, but the narrator, like he tells us right away at the beginning of the story. So you, Abraham, he's there. He's, you know, he's a little dazed probably, right? A little bit in dreamland. And the narrator tells us that the Lord, Yahweh, our God, is going to come and wake Abraham up. And we know that it's God, right? Because he tells us, and yet he comes as these three surprising strangers. Were they angels? Were they human messengers sent by God? Were they Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in human form? I don't know, okay? I don't know. But what we do know is that they speak for Yahweh, and they represent his intimate presence with his people. Let me read it for you. Verse 1, chapter 18. And the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre, as he, Abraham, sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree while I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves. And after that, you may pass on since you have come to your servant. Now this is, this is a hospitality culture, okay? So there's a high expectation for hospitality. And yet you, you know from Abraham's response that he knows, he may not know what's going on, but he knows it's something. Like this isn't just like an ordinary encounter. He knows that something big is happening in this moment. So he runs into the tent, right? He tells Sarah, quick, make a cake. And, and he runs out to, to, to the field and himself like personally picks out a calf. Gives it to a young man, one of the, one of the people who worked there on, on his sort of farm area, right? And has him butcher the calf and grills it up, right? And Abraham brings these strange visitors some cheese, some steak, and some milk. In verse 8, and Abraham stood by them under the tree while they ate. So Abraham... Like in this story, he's like, he's the farmer, the waiter, and the maitre d' all sort of rolled into one. Again, he knows something's happening here. And now, now is when it gets interesting. Like they've literally sort of set the table for some strange conversation, right? In verse 9, the Lord said, and that's where it's like, I don't really know, it's three visitors, it's the Lord who said, but whatever, okay? The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now, Abraham and Sarah are old, as if we don't know that already, if we've been studying Genesis, right? But just in case you forgot, they're super ancient, right? Advanced in years, the way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. Three surprising visitors and two people as good as dead. 
And now some of you are like, Nathan, you're so rude. Like, they're just old. Get over. Okay, but blame, blame Paul, because this is what the Apostle Paul in the New Testament, he writes sort of this commentary about this story, and that's how he refers to him. Listen, listen to what he says in Romans, Romans chapter 4. He says, Abraham did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about a million, right? Since he's about 100 years old, he's 99, right? Or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. Like Sarah had been unable to have children her entire life. She is well past menopause. I mean, the text says that, basically, right? It even sort of indicates quite possibly that things don't exactly work the same way they used to for Abraham, okay? I know too much information, but the author is like, he wants us to know, like, this, this is not happening, people. It's laughable, this promise. And you got to go back even further in the story. Like, enter their world for a little bit here, because our, our story takes place in a culture where having children was everything. I mean, yeah, it's a big deal today. I mean, I, I don't minimize that, okay? And if you're struggling with this, I certainly don't want to minimize your pain. But back then, I mean, it was your economic stability. It was your retirement plan, your insurance. It, it, was, it was everything your legacy could possibly be, and it was proof of God's favor, all rolled into, into one. And when Abraham and Sarah first got married, I mean, we don't know much about their early life, right? We don't really know much of anything, right? Our story picked up when Abraham was 75 and Sarah was 65, so we're way past them. But just imagine with me, when they first got married, probably young, culturally speaking, so maybe Abraham was 25, she was maybe 15. And they got married with expectations, hopes and dreams, just like any of us. And yet with each month that passed came the heart-wrenching reminder, it's not going to happen. And at some point, they'd stopped hoping, right? I mean, surely, because again, we we don't even pick up with them until they're, you know, 75, 65. They'd given up when God makes them a promise. So they, you know, already had 50 years of disappointment, 50 years of giving up on hope, and hope is reignited. And so they they did what God said, right? They left to a land they did not know, right? They, They moved away. They worshiped Yahweh only. Sure, we've seen they were far from perfect, and yet they were with God. God rekindled their hope. One year passes. Another. Another. A decade. And, and their, their hope would start to flicker, and then God would stick his head back in and say, Actually, seriously, guys, I mean it. You're going to have a family. Another year. Another. Another decade. 24 years since God made this promise. And what were you doing 24 years ago? That's how long they've been waiting. And really, their disappointment with God is way older than that. Quite possibly by this point, 75 years of praying, trying, hoping, and nothing. At this point, if you were Sarah and Abraham, wouldn't you sort of wish God would just stop talking already? Like, enough with the promises. 
That ship has sailed. It's over. It's past. I mean, the promises, they almost make it worse. I mean, we're holding on to God, but it sure feels like he has forgotten us. And here's our first lesson this morning. I don't even want to say it, yet I'm convinced that it's true. If you're going to take God seriously, you will feel forgotten. At some point, almost, almost certainly, there will come a point when you feel like he has completely forgotten you. Our world is broken, right? We covered that back in, in Genesis 3, didn't we? We spent a lot of time there. And we could say, is anything too hard for God? And yet you just can't seem to get pregnant or shake the loneliness or make ends meet. Your family is a mess. Your work is worse. You've been wrestling with God. Just show me the next step, right? It feels like nothing. You're walking on the narrow edge of faith, uphill both ways, holding on for dear life. And if that describes your when that describes you, I just want you to know you're in good company. Abraham and Sarah felt that. They felt forgotten. So did Joseph, Leah, Moses, Hannah, David, Esther, Job, Paul, even Jesus. I mean, most of the characters in this book, at some point, they feel like God has forgotten them. And I think that might just be the hardest part of faith, at least for me. At least, at least one of the hardest, like the tension between what you know is true. Is anything too hard for God? No, of course not. Like we, we know that. Like many of us here, we would say, yes, I absolutely believe God can intervene. And so we have the tension between what we know is true about God to our experience of him, which is so often for many of us, right? It feels like silence, distance, and inactivity. If you feel forgotten, you are not alone. It does not mean that something's wrong with you or that you've necessarily done something wrong. It might just mean that you need to wait a little longer and recognize that his answer to your prayers might not be the answer you're hoping for. Life with God does not mean ease or comfort. It means waiting. He's not... He's not like us. God is comfortable. Have you noticed this? He's comfortable with long periods of silence. He isn't about instant gratification. That's not how he does it. And the constant assumption in the Bible, like if you take this book seriously, if you read it, the assumption this book makes is whatever God is up to, it is gonna take a while. And that is hard for us, isn't it? To go back, go back to the story. 24 years ago, God made them a promise. And now, now he has the audacity to put a timeline on it. I mean, you, you see that? Like twice, he says very specifically, about this time next year. Three surprising strangers, two people as good as dead, and one laughable promise. It's laughable, but not in a good way, Right? And before, before we throw Sarah under the bus here, I need us all to like recognize actually Abraham laughed first. 
Like we don't see that in our story, but if you back up to the previous chapter, there's another time when God comes to Abraham, like and says the same thing. You're, seriously, I mean it, you're gonna have a kid. And, and listen, listen to what happens. Like this was just a few verses earlier, 17, verse 17. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And then here again now in 18, verse 12, our story So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, after I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? And the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I'm old? Is is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh for she was afraid. And he said, no, you did. Hmm. Here is the model couple for faith in the Old Testament. And they laugh in God's face at his promises. So here's the second lesson. If you're going to take God seriously, you will laugh but not always in a good way. I mean, this is a sad story, people, isn't it? I mean, it's it's going to be good, right? I think maybe some of us, at least, we know where it's building to, but this is raw for Sarah and Abraham. This is like rock bottom for them in this moment. And they they want to believe. They want to want to believe. And I I think they do believe, and yet you can't help but see, like, there's a root of cynicism beginning to grow And if you're going to take God seriously, you have to watch out for that same root in your own life. Chances are it is going to happen. When you you read God's promises and you just sort of sneer with laughter. Yeah, maybe for somebody else, right? You know, one of the best ways to diagnose our own seeds of cynicism is in our prayers, I think, or or lack thereof. In fact, Paul Miller in his book on prayer, I think it's one of my favorite books on prayer. It's uh, really practical and surprisingly realistic. Like, I feel like so many prayer books are like, "Ah, I'm just never going to reach that, right? Uh, This one actually, I feel like, is somewhat, like, it's it's realistic. And and he actually, he he has three chapters in this book on cynicism because it plays such a role in our relationship with God and particularly in the ways in which we pray. And so he writes, for example, he says, many Christians stand at the edge of cynicism, struggling with defeated weariness. Their spirits have begun to deaden, but unlike the cynic, they've not lost hope. And to overcome our cynicism, he recommends, he urges us to pray even when we don't want to, even when it feels most painful, to bring it to God, not to hold it in, to keep praying and to watch for Jesus. He says, cynicism looks in the wrong direction. It looks for the cracks. How often I've been guilty of that. Instead of looking for the presence of Jesus. Friend, our pained laughter doesn't have to destroy our faith. It can actually push us closer to God if we bring them to him, our doubts, our disappointments, our frustrations and failures, rather than trying to hide them from him, bring them to him. He can handle it. He knows already. In fact, if you read the Psalms, he gives us the language to cry out our agony before him in those moments. 
Which I think is why Paul, again, in the New Testament, is able to say of Abraham and Sarah, let me read that passage again a little bit more. He says in, in Romans 4, he said, Abraham did not weaken in faith. Just crazy, right? When he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb, no unbelief made him waver concerning the promises of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. Fully convinced. This is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. If you're going to take God seriously, there's a good chance you're going to feel forgotten. There's a pretty good chance at some point you're going to find his promises laughable. I'm going to make some of you cynical even now. With our third lesson. The third thing I see from this story is that if you're going to take God seriously, you will give birth to joy. You will. One way or another. If you hold on to your faith, the laughter of cynicism that you feel will at some point be turned into the laughter of joy and delight. Now, now for Abraham and Sarah, it's a little easier, right? Because we can see it. And we can even say that, well, we mean that literally, right? Because in about a year, this ancient couple will experience what everyone thought was long gone impossible, right? The birth of their son. And God tells them to name him Isaac, which is just hilarious, right? Because literally that is the Hebrew word for laughter. Think about that, right? So, hey, have you met our son, Laughter? Hmm, what's the story behind that, right? I mean, like, imagine how many times they had to recount why they named their son Laughter. Or, or the, the constant reminder that he was every time you called his name. Remembering that you almost lost it. But that God stayed faithful anyway. Church, I think that's the real miracle of the story. Is that even though they are about to let go, God holds on tighter. That even in the midst of their faithlessness, God is still faithful. And somehow they keep believing in the midst of it. And holding her son, this is a couple chapters later, Sarah said, God has brought me laughter. And everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. Is anything too hard for God? Of course, I want to be really clear, right? Um, that promise of a child and that their story would work out like that, like that promise was for them. It's not, it's not for us. You can't just read the story and say, well, that settles it. God's going to do whatever I want, right? Whatever, whatever I've been hoping for, praying for, because it happened to them, it's going to happen to me. You can't, you can't do that, right? You don't know that. Not like this. And yet I do want us to end with three promises that God has made to you. If you belong to him, right? If you're a Christian, Three promises that are absolutely yours that, if you're listening, are laughable. They lead to joy. Promise number one, if you're with Jesus, even when you feel forgotten, he sees you and loves you 
Do you believe that? He sees you. This means that there's nothing enters your life that he's surprised by. Like there's not, like that thing that happened or the thing that's going to happen where that brings such agony or regret, right? That, it wasn't like God had his back turned. It was like, oops, right? God has never said that on your behalf. And he never will. And that even, like he promises that whatever that is, whatever brokenness you've experienced, that he is somehow, if you're with him, he is going to turn that, he's going to make that for your good and for his glory. I don't know how. Don't ask. I don't know. But he will. It's laughable. Do you believe it? Promise number two. If you're with Jesus, even when you feel like your faith is laughable, he will be strong for you, forgive you, and never let you go. And I don't know about you, but so often my faith feels so weak it's laughable. And my, my sins feel so big, it's shameful, and I just wonder, like, why would, why would God hold on to me, right? What am I to him? And if the reality is, I mean, if we see anything in this story, it's that it's not, it's not the strength of our faith that saves us, but the object of our faith. And we, we've said that often, and I've even given this, this example before, but like, had, had I fallen off that cliff, I mean, God forbid, that would have been a long way down, but had I fallen off, like, and seen a root to grab onto, like, I wouldn't have to be thinking as I'm, like, you know, screaming and, you know, panic, like, whatever, whatever happens in those moments. Like, I wouldn't have to, like, have this incredible amount of confidence that the root's going to save me. Right? I wouldn't have to be certain that if I, if I grab it, I'm going to be fine. Right? All I have to have in that moment is enough faith to grab on, right? And if the, if the root is strong enough, then it will hold me regardless of how strong my faith is. And people, Jesus is strong enough. No matter how weak it feels to you, no matter how inadequate you seem, he will hold you. Every weakness, every failure, every shame, Christ died for you. A holy God forgives you. There is no condemnation left for you, none, zero, ever. And nothing can separate you from his love. He will not let you go. Laugh your heart out. Do you believe? And promise number three. If you're with Jesus, even when you feel like you'll never laugh again, he will one day make you whole. Wipe every tear from your eyes and make up to you all that you've lost. That might be the most laughable of all, right? If you're with him, you will come out of the grave alive, whole, complete, finally. And Jesus himself, like him, in the flesh, will wipe away every tear from your eyes. And in ways that I can't even begin to imagine, whatever you've lost, whatever's been taken from you or you've given up, it will somehow be made up to you that he will take the ashes of your life, the things that you've done to yourself, the things others have done to you, the stuff that's just happened in a broken world, and he will somehow make it beautiful for you. I don't know when, I don't know how. I only know that he will. Do you believe? Nothing is too hard for God. It's laughable, isn't it? Let's pray. Father, we, we cannot do this without you holding on to us.
And so we ask that you would. That even when our grip is loose, would you hold us tight? That even when we cannot see what you could possibly be doing in our circumstance, God, would we give us the eyes of faith to see that you are still with us, that you still love us, that you still care for us, regardless of how it turns out in the immediate for us. God, I pray that you'd be near to us. And we thank you for Jesus in whom lies our hope, our joy, and all that we long for. Be with us now as we worship you. In Christ's name, amen.